Chapter Thirty Three of the Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. The Doctor's Opinion of Egyplosis. My experiences in Egyplosis were teaching me that even the most perfect human organizations contain the elements of decay and death. The human soul, at variance with its own physical condition, was hardly the best ideal of a god. Here was happiness piled upon happiness, yet the recipients thereof were not happy. Disappointments and suffering are natural to man, because life is supported on difficulty, and a long-continued happiness is the sure forerunner of disaster. The reaction of misery lies somewhere concealed from the eye of happiness, and if it does not at once show itself, it will later on. Even in well-guarded happiness, if one single pleasure be omitted, we experience more regret at its absence than pleasure over the bounties we enjoy. Hence, a large proportion of twin souls were not wholly in love with their life in the Temple of Souls, however enamoured they were of each other. Almost absolute freedom of action, freedom from care, physical and mental exercises, soul development, the practice of magic, the most alluring investigation of mental and spiritual themes, the study and practice of art in all its forms, and the investigation of inventive mechanism, a palace to live in, with vast galleries of paintings and sculptures, salons for music and schools of science, libraries filled with the rarest works of history, literature and poetry, and, most precious of all, the daily dalliance with counterpart souls could not make these people happy. The one thing denied, which any reasonable man would say was simply the price paid for all this glory, was considered the greatest of all misfortunes. The imagination has a strange habit of passing lightly over happiness possessed and settling down upon a little thing beyond reach and exaggerating it to the utmost. The imprisonment of Ardsolus and Murger created a profound sensation among the ten thousand inmates of the palace. Sentiment was divided so much that two political parties were formed. Those who believed the erring lovers had met a just fate, and those who thought the system at fault in providing no means of immediate escape when to reside in the palace became imprisonment and a living death to certain souls. The latter party was composed of the more youthful section of the priesthood, who sympathised with the unfortunate lovers. These latter would have got up a demonstration in their favour did not the stern rules of Egyplosis suppress any such outbursts of popular feeling. On the day following the imprisonment of the erring twin soul, the question was being discussed in the apartments occupied by the officers of the Polar King and myself. We had been lodged in a noble building not far from the palace of the goddess, while the sailors were quartered in the fortress of Egyplosis, in company with the wayleels of the palace itself. "'Your opinion of Egyplosis has possibly undergone a degree of change since the day of our reception,' said the doctor. "'Well,' said I, "'I suppose the longer we stay here, the more exact will be our knowledge of this particular institution.' I had considered Egyplosis as a successful institution for developing the human soul, Certainly Harakar, with his beloved attributes, required a fit home for his complete development. I had praised their oasis of love, of refinement, of rest and of beauty, and even ventured to assert that such a paradise was the outcome of the love and purity of twin souls. I forgot in my enthusiasm the possibility of the soul being satiated with pleasure, that life is a warfare ever seeking but never gaining repose, and that we are led more by our passions and illusions than by our judgment. I forgot that while man resists pain, he always yields to pleasure. I forgot that he was created for difficulty, which is the oxygen that feeds the flame of endeavour, and that difficulty alone can develop efforts which pleasure so easily destroys. 
I am of the opinion, said the doctor, that this institution is founded on a perversion of human nature. This so-called hopeless love is, as we have just had proof, one of the most disturbing elements in life. Its victims resemble Tantalus, who, though steeped up to the lips in water, can never drink. They are the unhappy devotees of an idol, and, like the Hindus, stick into their sides the hooks of a cruel passion, and swing aloft in torture to the applause of an admiring crowd. You evidently do not reverence hopeless love, I remarked. I consider Egyplosis, he continued, but a nervous asylum on a large scale. This nervous temperament, with its hysterical raptures and tears, its painful sensibility, its exalted spiritualism and irresistible sympathy, departs so far from the steady temperate sphere of action that can alone sustain alike the pleasures and disappointments of life as to become the object of pity. These are the marks of a mental disease. Ultra-romantic ideas and whimsical and unaccountable tastes are attributes of this temperament. It is a kind of insanity not the insanity proceeding from hopeless mental aberration, but founded on a systemic train of ideas born in a heated enthusiasm. It may lead, however, to hopeless insanity. Doctor, said the astronomer, you're taking a very cold-blooded view of the subject. You seem not to have discovered that life here is ideal. From what you say, one would think that love is a species of insanity. That is precisely my idea, replied the doctor. Haven't you observed how foolishly people act when in love? All ordinary human prudence and judgment are thrown aside. Love pairs the claws and pulls the teeth of a man as rational animal. Love is supreme folly. I think, said the astronomer, that the climate of this country has something to do with the present institution. You see that the sun here never sets, and, were it not for its diminutive size, would it infallibly turn the entire interior world into a desert, such as the moon is at present, where the outer sun's heat falls for fourteen days on the one spot without intermission, completely blasting her territories. The mild yet incessant heat of Swang creates a fervour of blood and a romance of temperament unknown in lands possessing night. Hence the practices of Egyplosis are a natural result of climactic conditions. The appetite for ideal love has been created by the climate, and the religion of the country very naturally responds to the craving of such appetite, who knows what excesses might not obtain if no such restraint were imposed on the most gallant youth of the country? I think, said the naturalist, that the proper thing to do would be to have the people imitate the conduct of Jacob of old and Rachel. Jacob worshipped ideal love in the person of Rachel for seven years and then married her. If our commander would only propose such a scheme to the supreme goddess, it might possibly be favourably considered. Do you really suppose, said I, that I possess any influence with the goddess, or that any recommendation of mine would be able to change the constitution of that vatbar? Well, sir, said he, if you will allow me to make the remark, I think the supreme goddess takes quite as much interest in you as you do in her, and would treat your opinions with great respect. You think more than I have ever dared to think, I replied, and your thought savours of sacrilege. The goddess belongs to her faith, her country. To prefer an individual soul is to dethrone herself as goddess and meet a painful death. In any case, Whatever happens, you can rely on the fidelity of your followers, said the naturalist. The subject was fast becoming embarrassing, and I merely said, Gentlemen, I am assured of your fidelity, so please let us dismiss the subject. The hour for rest having been sounded, I sought my couch, but not to sleep. The remarks made by my companions, emphasised by my growing fondness for the goddess, set me to thinking what the end would be of our discovery of Atvatbar. I wondered if Leone was not, as sung by her devotees, a chrysalis eager to hover and fly from her prison away. 
could it be that the goddess might possibly if an occasion worthy of such a step presented itself fly from egyplosis renounce her throne her crown her sublime office of supreme goddess of harakar and with me retire to some far-off country braving in the meantime the almost certain prospect of death for her sake i felt i could meet any situation however terrible but for my sake would she throw aside her unparalleled dignities even if in trying to escape we outflew in my own vessel their ships of war we could never escape the ubiquitous whaleels the magnic winged troops that could fight equally well on land sea or air bah i said such a dream is idiotic when i thought of the splendour of the position that she would be obliged to renounce for the sake of her love for the passing stranger and of the awful penalties that awaited transgression in one so exalted i considered that no craving of passion should dare to resist such difficulties here duty was resistance nowhere is man exonerated from the penalty of having to pay a price for his possessions and even possession itself is not happiness better i said to myself to depart in peace than encourage the goddess in a desperate enterprise if indeed she had any such desires as my vanity attributed to her End of chapter thirty three